Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. And Father, we pray as we pause and give you space to do that now, you would move by your spirit so that we would have attentive hearts, eager to listen and swift to obey, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question as we start this afternoon. Uh, When do you sing? Uh, Maybe you burst into song at home when no one's around. I've been known to burst into, there's some, uh, we don't talk about Bruno when I think no one's listening. Uh, Or maybe you sing at the football match when you get caught up in the emotion and your favourite player scores the winner in the 89th minute. Or maybe you sing at a karaoke night where you belt out your favourite go-to sing-along anthem. Uh, Mine's American Pie by Don McLean, in case you're interested. Uh, But maybe singing isn't uh, your thing, uh, and that's okay too. But I think the time that I sing the most is probably here, in church. Maybe that's the case for you too. Why is that? Singing on our own or in a group is quite an unusual thing to do, despite Gareth Malone's best efforts to change our minds. So why do God's people always sing when they get together? Why does that happen? I think it does because instinctively we sense that it is good to sing to God, that we have things to celebrate and singing helps us do that. That singing to him is a right way to express our thanks and delight in all he is and in all he has done. Actually, it's always been that way for God's people and that's exactly where we land in Exodus 15 today. God's people, the people of Israel, have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. We've seen that over these past weeks together. They've been saved through substitution. That blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts of their houses, which means they're saved from God's fierce plague that claimed the Egyptian firstborn. They've been saved through conquest, as God has miraculously made a way for them to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground while drowning the pursuing Egyptian army as the waters return. That's just what's happened. Look at chapter 14, verses 29 and 30, uh, the verses immediately at the end of the previous chapter. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, we read, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And what do the people of God do in response? They sing. God's people are saved and so they sing. And it is exactly the same today. We have been saved, delivered, we've been rescued by God. He has conquered our enemies, we are saved, and so we can sing. And Exodus chapter 15 will give us some lyrics to sing, to celebrate God's rescue of us, to delight in the conquest of his enemies. I trust that will be helpful, particularly for us if we're struggling today to to praise God. Or if we're feeling a bit flat spiritually. We're just not sure how we should respond to God or to his rescue. But before we get there, honestly, can I ask you, how did you feel when Exodus 15 was read to you earlier? Maybe some of us were taken back 
either to the school playground or to raising our own children, where we taught them the important lesson about winning well. See, what Moses, Miriam, and all Israel sing here can sound a little bit like they're rubbing Egypt's noses in it, refusing to be a good winner. Phrases like, Pharaoh's chariot and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Verse 4, kind of sounds like football fans taunting the opponent's team with a raucous victory chant. Kind of an early, you only sing when you're winning vibe. I hope we'll see that although Israel is unashamedly celebrating Egypt's defeat, that is a good thing. It's not a case of bad manners. It is a case of celebrating God's victory, God's defeat of his enemies. Or maybe others of us felt a different reaction to Exodus 15. Maybe, frankly, we, we, we found it a bit distasteful. We found the strong military, violent imagery hard to swallow. It made us uncomfortable particularly against the backdrop of the awful events unfolding in Ukraine. Phrases like, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea, sound far too aggressive for comfort. To make matters worse, it's clear that God is the one who has been fighting. He's explicitly described an imagery that we're not very familiar with. Verse 3, the Lord is... A warrior. A Lord is his name. Or verse 6, your right hand Lord was majestic in power. Your right hand Lord shattered the enemy. I hope we'll see that although these verses do celebrate the very earthy military defeat of Egypt, that is a good thing. God is pictured as a warrior who fights for his people and this should cause us to lift our hearts to him in praise and worship, rather than being made to feel uncomfortable. So can I suggest that rather than responding in those ways, we should respond to Exodus 15 by warming our voices up and getting ready to sing along. Think of these verses as an invitation to join a big karaoke session with God's people then and through the ages as together we stand and sing about God's victory. We're not the first ones to sing this song. Look at verse 1. Moses and the Israelites are singing. And then in perfect harmony, verse 20, Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, and all the women sing as well. This shows us this is a song for all God's people. Male or female. Old or young. UK born or guests from another culture. This is our song. So we can borrow these lyrics today without fear of being sued for breach of copyright. And this song is meant to be on repeat. It's kind of starting again, isn't it? It's begun in verse 1, and with strikingly similar languages, it kicks in again in, in, in verse 21. It's meant to be sung and, and sung and, and sung, and the very structure of the chapter shows us that, doesn't it? So let's take up this song and sing it today. There are two particular big things we're going to see that this song sets before us to get us singing this afternoon. First thing this song sets before us to help us sing is God's character. God's character. 
And right at the heart of this song, we see two wonderful sides to God's character that Moses particularly sings about. Firstly, we've mentioned that in passing. God is described as the one who defeats his enemies. You can't miss that language, can you? He he triumphs over his foes. He shatters those who defy him, verse 6. Those who oppress his people. When Israel was hemmed in uh, by the, uh, the sea and the advancing Egyptian army trapped, we read ourselves into what the Egyptians were thinking. In verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. Not so. God defeated them. He washed them away. He, he brought them to an end. See, God's hand was more powerful than their hands. Yahweh, the Lord, Israel's God, is a warrior who has defeated the might of Egypt, triumphing over the best Egyptian shock troops, as verse 4 says. He has overthrown both horse and driver. So much so, verse 11, he has disclosed that he is highly exalted, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. We said earlier, this language, these ideas might be hard to swallow. But but can I gently suggest that probably says more about us than it does about God. See, my hunch is that our emotional response to this idea of God as a warrior would be very different if we were part of an oppressed people. Just imagine. Imagine you are one of the Israelites growing up in slavery in Egypt. Every moment of every day has underlined your powerlessness, your lowly status, your vulnerability. How you were at the mercy of a ruthless, cruel, tyrannical overlord. How your life could be snuffed out any moment. How all that the future holds for you is mindless, crushing, sapping slavery. Well, if that's your experience, you're going to think it's good news when you hear God's going to fight for you. When God's going to go to war for you and contend for you to win your freedom, aren't you? And imagine you've just seen God do that before your very eyes cast down those who are aggressively seeking your life. You're not going to feel awkward about singing. You're going to celebrate, aren't you? Because Yahweh defeats his enemies. The Lord who defeats his enemies. We we meet him in these words. That's the first side of God's character we see. The second side of God's character is the one who delivers his people. And we've seen this again and again, haven't we, in Exodus? He calls his people out of slavery into liberty. He sets them free, bringing them out, bringing them to himself. He throws off their burdens. God defeats his enemies in order to save his people. Verse 2, in defeating Egypt, the Lord has become his people's salvation. And that was a very tangible, physical reality for Egypt, uh, for Israel rather. They were redeemed, bought at 
great cost out of the physical enslavement in Egypt. That is because Yahweh delivers his people. And those two truths of God's character are shot through this song. Those two sides of God's character were reasons for God's people to sing and celebrate then. And I think it's meant to be the same today too. See, God hasn't changed, has he? He's still the God who defeats our enemies. He's still the God who delivers his people. And we desperately need him to be that sort of God. So many films and TV shows in our world today tap into this general sense of powerlessness and helplessness where people are stuck and they need a hero to rescue them. Whether that's Black Widow or the Batman or Bond. Well, the Bible diagnoses that all of us by nature were helpless, needing a hero. We were all once in slavery, held captive to a cruel and brutal tyrant. Once captive to the evil one, the devil. Under his control and influence, enslaved to him in our sin and rebellion against God. We were powerless to fix that situation. We couldn't defeat the devil or rescue ourselves. We faced a bleak future, separation from God in this life, and ultimate exclusion from God's goodness for a lost eternity. But no longer. Our God has fought for us. He has stepped in to defeat his enemies, to crush our sin and the devil and the power of death that stood against us. See, if God wasn't a warrior, we would still be lost. He has the power and the right and the holy character to go to war for us. And he has done that through Jesus, the hero who has appeared to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3 verse 8. Through Jesus, whose sin-bearing, wrath-averting death is the time of judgment on this world, the time when the prince of this world is driven out. John 12 31. Through Jesus, who has defeated and disarmed the powers and authorities, making a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by his cross. Colossians 2, verse 15. Through Jesus, who by his death has broken the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and has set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2, verse 15. Through Jesus, who has been raised from the dead and is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21. Through Jesus one who died but has been raised and will one day seal the triumph when he cast the devil into the lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 20 verse 10. We need God to be a warrior. 
He defeats his enemies and delivers his people. That is our hope. That is our story. That is our song. And singing about God's character as a warrior might not instinctively be on our character of God's Spotify playlist. But it does need to be in the mix. It is good news. Friends, we we have reason to celebrate this afternoon. God is a warrior who has defeated our enemies and delivered us from that awful state that we were in. We were powerless. But he was powerful. We were helpless, but he was committed in love. He went to war for us. To show his glory, to, to magnify his grace, to bring us into freedom. So let's sing Exodus 15. It shows us God's character. Our God is still a warrior who defeats his enemies and delivers his people. We can sing about God's character. The second thing that Exodus 15 encourages us to sing about this afternoon is not just God's character, but secondly, God's purposes. God's purposes. That's particularly where the song ends. That's the kind of the conclusion, the rousing finale of the song. Moses sings of God's end goal in delivering Israel. You see, the rescue in Egypt's been the starter, but but the main course is yet to come. Israel has been brought out of slavery in Egypt in order to be brought into the promised land, the land of Canaan. This is where the story of the Bible goes on after that moment. Listen to how it's described in beautiful language, verse 13 onwards. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. You see, as God brings his people out, he displays his uniqueness. His grace, his majesty, his power in the sight of the surrounding nations. As God brings his people firstly to Mount Sinai, where he's going to meet them in Exodus 19, in a couple of chapters time. And then on, bringing them into the promised land after that. That is God's purposes that Moses sings of. And we see to note two things very quickly about that. What Moses says about these purposes and the land. Firstly, he speaks of the land being the Lord's gift being Yahweh's gift. It is God's inheritance that he shares with his people. That's the goal that God has in mind when he brings them out. It's to bring them in. That's where the dream works, Prince of Egypt, uh, good as it is, gets it a little bit wrong. If you've seen the film, you know that it ends with the people of Israel gathered to Mount Sinai to receive the law. And that's massively important in Israel's story But that is not the end of Israel's story. The great purpose of the Lord in rescuing Israel is to set them free from slavery to Pharaoh and to bring them into the land where they can live in joyful slavery to him. 
But secondly, the land is also spoken of here as Yahweh's dwelling place. Because he's going to be found there. That's what the land is ultimately going to be about. That is where the people will meet with God and enjoy God. They will be God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. That is God's purposes that Moses sings about. God's people were meant to sing about God's purposes. And I think it's meant to be the same today. So let's sing about God's great purposes. And they are great. To bring us out of slavery and to bring us into so much. You see, we've been set free to worship, to serve God, to find our life in slavery to him, to enjoy him. And all those ideas are reflected uh, when Moses speaks of the land that was given to Israel. But maybe the clearest way that God's gift of the land speaks to us today is by lifting our eyes and pointing us forward to the hope that we have that one day God will bring us to dwell with him for all eternity in a new creation. See, that is the inheritance that we look forward to and celebrate. That is the final point on our spiritual journey. It's where the story of the Bible ends. It's where the story of our lives will end. God gathering us to himself when he returns to remake this broken world. Recreating it and removing from it all the sin and the pain and the brokenness. See, I think that's the best way to respond as Christians to the promises about the land. I don't think we're meant to be overly concerned about the spiritual significance of a strip of land in the Middle East any longer. The land was never meant to be the final reality of God dwelling with his people. It's striking Jesus' promises in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. See, God's purposes are bigger than the land. They're meant to include the whole world. So let's start singing about those purposes, friends. Let's lift up our heads and our hearts. Let's see where God is leading us on this spiritual journey. Not away from this world, not out of this world, but on into this world when it is renewed and remade and restored. As John records in the last book of the Bible, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. It's a picture of chaos. It doesn't mean there won't be seaside in the new creation. Don't worry if you like the sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with uh, them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. See, that's where God's purposes lead us. 
This is the end point. This is what we've ultimately been saved for. And that is good news. We instinctively know that something is wrong with our world. It's hard to avoid at the moment, isn't it? But what would your personal hate list be of everything that's wrong with the world? People trafficking. Check. Environmental damage. Check. Political corruption. Check. Systemic prejudice. Check. Corporate greed. Check. Exploitation of the weak. Check. War. Check. Death. Check. Genocide. Check. One day, Jesus will return to put right all that is wrong with this world. That is amazing. But what is even more amazing is that above all, this new world that is the culmination of God's purposes for us will be full, shot through with the glory and the goodness and the presence of our glorious and wonderful God where he dwells with us eternally. That's God's purposes. That's what we can sing about this afternoon. It's so easy to forget this, isn't it? To take our eyes off this glorious reality, to get distracted. And these are difficult days when that's really hard to keep our hope up. I get that. I feel that. I know that. But let's sing Exodus 15 today. Reminding ourselves of God's purposes that culminate uh, uh, that began in the past and will culminate in the future wonderfully and gloriously when God brings us to himself to dwell with him forever that's our hope that's our story that's our song let's get singing about God's purposes so when do you sing singing may not be your thing that's okay but let's take heart to sing this afternoon We've been saved, so we can sing. Sing of God's character, a warrior who defeats his enemies and delivers his people. We can sing about God's purposes to dwell with us in the new heavens and the new earth, the world we all want, a perfect world of perfect relationships. So just as Miriam, Moses and the others sang by the sea all those years ago, We can warm our voices up, join in the karaoke session without embarrassment and get singing today. What's stopping you singing this song this afternoon? Maybe you're unsure about God's character. Well, take heart. Look back and see him as he fights for you and delivers you. Or maybe you're fearful of God's purposes in light of an uncertain future. Take heart. Look forward. See what he will do in the future and the hope he gives to you through Jesus who has crushed death and is risen, ascended, exalted, King of kings and Lord of lords. Even if we don't have good singing voices, (laughs) let's not hold back. Let's respond with glad and grateful obedience to the command we're given in verse 21. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Let's pray. 
Father, we want to sing as your saved people today. Please help us to think deeply and admire deeply your glorious character we see here. A God who defeats his enemies, who is a warrior. A God who delivers his people. Father, we don't find those ideas always easy or comfortable or kind of natural to our frame of reference. But thank you that your word speaks and presents you in that way for our comfort and joy. Please help us to rejoice in your characters we see here and get singing in response to all you are and all you have done. And thank you for the picture of your purposes these verses give us as well. Thank you for the the purposes to bring us as your redeemed people into a new heaven and a new earth. A remade world where sin is a memory in the past and nothing more. When you make all things new. Father, lift up our heads and our hearts to look back to all you have done, the conquest won through Christ, and to look forward to all you will do when that victory is finally sealed and disclosed for all when Christ returns and he brings us to himself. Father, give us comfort and confidence to sing this song until that day we pray. And may each of us individually be able to say, I will sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted. Amen.